my heart to release to you guys. And so you are the class.
Respond when he comes. And I'm telling you, today could be a day that changes your life.
I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. 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 Those words said by a young girl is what ignited the Welsh revival. She stood up in a meeting and she said, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. That's how revival started. And that's how revival starts. It's passion. It's love. It's intimacy. It's saying, I don't care who I'm going to offend. It's the woman with the alabaster jar that sees Jesus and interrupts a lunch he's having with his friends. It says, I love you. I'm going to pour out the oil on you. Offends his closest friends. But it was love. It was passion. That story goes around the world today. I love the Lord Jesus, she said with a tremor in her voice, with all my heart, Flory Evans, a teenage girl in Wales in 1904. That was what catalyzed the Welsh revival. One phrase, one act of love. It's just a burning, fiery love and passion for one. It's just choosing Jesus Amen. in the most unlikely circumstances. It's following our heart at all costs. Jesus with all my heart. What does it look like to love the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts? No holding back. You can have it all. Can you really have it all? Can you really have every single detail of our lives and our hearts? Revival broke out in Wales when she said that it spread to a man named Ed Roberts in another part of Wales who walked in the city of Mountain. And Evan Roberts set apart his life. Nearly every night he went to meetings here, and every night he prayed, he studied the Bible history. And he had a, an encounter. He had an encounter that marked his life, but the Lord was preparing him his whole life. Some of you in here, God is preparing you. We don't know the time and the season, but 11 years, he was faithful. He was filling the oil in his life. Heidi Bateman had a dream to go to Mozambique as a teenager. It wasn't until 20 years later that she set foot into the land of destiny. So don't be discouraged if you feel like you're not your destiny, you're not stepping in. Let yourself be filled with the oil. So when it's time to step in, you're ready. Like, don't get discouraged. Sometimes the bigger the dream is, the longer it takes. Right? Heidi birthed the nation in Mozambique. Evan was birthing a nation in Wales. And he, he had a three-month series of encounters. While that same thing was breaking out in Newquay, one part of Wales with Flory Evans, in another part, Evan was getting taken into encounters for three months straight in the middle of the night. He'd be taken to heaven, the Lord would speak to him, he'd be marked, and he just let it happen, he let it happen. And then he went off to school, and during during his time at this, this ministry school, there was this group from Newquay, the people that Florian Evans hung out with, they came and released impartation. And so Evan went with some of his friends, and he has this defining encounter. The Lord is moving on, and he says, I have only to wait for the fire. I've built the altar, and laid the wood in order, and I've prepared the offering, I have only to wait. 
Your love is like fire. My heart is the altar for you. Your love is like the fire. My heart is an altar for you. That was a prophetic song released before I shared this at, at a wine base not too long ago. The Lord is preparing an altar. And so Evan has this defining encounter where he says, bend me, bend me. Bend me basically means, God, you can do whatever you want to do with my life. I am yours. You can have your way. He gets marked by the Lord in a powerful way. And he, he gets a vision, and he gets drawn to go to back to his home church, October 31st, 1904. He goes to this chapel in Wales, and he preaches to 17 people, convinces them all to get saved. He realized that little tiny seed was the mark of the revival he'd been praying his whole life for. Revival begins to spread. He had a dream and a vision. For, prayed for 100,000 souls. Not long after, less than four months later, 84,000 people got saved in four months. Not long after that, his dream of 100,000 souls were saved. The nation began to be transformed. People would come from around the world to encounter God. Even famous ministers, they didn't want to touch it. Because God would come, it was spontaneous leading the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was orchestrating this revival. The Welsh were a singing people. It was about worship, prayer, testimony. The Holy Spirit had full control. And while they were experiencing revival, God was raising up another young coal miner, a Welsh man named Reese House. And this man, oh my gosh, Reese House changed my life. His faith took my faith to a new level. His faith inspired me to show up at San Francisco airport with a dream to go to my friend's wedding in England without a plane ticket or without money. Trusting that if the Lord I felt the Lord was sending me, he could get me saved. And the breakthrough happened. I ended up going to the wedding and the Lord did a breakthrough. But I pulled from the faith and I pulled from the testimonies of Reese House and his legacy. So inside today, inside this story, there's keys to your destiny. Inside, as you guys have read, defining moments, certain people are highlighted for a reason. Pay attention to why that is. Not everybody in that book was highlighted, but certain people are. The reason is because you carry part of their anointing. And they have keys to your destiny that you can pull from. And so here's this man, Reese House. Revival is taking place in Wales. All these people are getting saved. And I'm telling you guys this because we were on the verge of this billion soul harvest. We were praying for Azusa Street. You're like, we're getting ready. What's going to happen when all these people get saved? This wave of arrival comes. What are we going to do? God raised up this man named Rizal and said, they need to be discipled. They need to not be babies that are struggling and not know how to be fed. They actually need to be taken in. And so this guy gets raised up. And this is what he said. The real problem arose as the revival proceeded and thousands were added to the churches. He says, there were more children born than there were nurses to tend on. The establishing of converts became the greatest need, which if not met would be the most dangerous weakness of the revival. As enthusiasm abated, there were bound to be many who had depended more on feelings and not yet learned to have their faith solidly based on the Word of God. Experiences and encounters are awesome, but we need to be grounded. Yes. You know, we, need, we need Him. Our life should be one massive encounter. He had this moment of total surrender. And I'm going to read um, his encounter to you guys. And the reason I'm reading, I'm reading his actual words because I feel like carry weight and power. So I'm reading the primary source because I just feel like it's going to release stuff. I want to read you guys his encounter, his life-changing encounter, because I believe it's just super powerful. He, he was 26 year, years old, 1906, went to a convention, begins to hear the Holy Spirit talk to him through the preaching, begins to draw him to more. The next day, the preacher talked about being fully possessed by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we said. He said, it never dawned on me that the Holy Ghost was a person exactly like the Savior. And that he must come in and dwell in flesh and blood. In fact, the church knows more about the Savior who is only here 33 years than about the Holy Ghost who has been here over 2,000 years. I'd only thought of him as an influence coming on the meetings. And that was what most of us in the revival thought. I had never seen that he must live in bodies as the Savior lived on this earth. 
He felt this drawing. He felt the Holy Spirit calling to him to this place of unconditional surrender. Straight from that meeting, he went out to the field and he cried out to the Lord. He knew God was calling him. He knew something was happening. He lost, um, he lost, I think, seven pounds and he wept and he prayed and he spent the next five days alone with the Lord because he knew God was calling him to this new place, this higher place, this higher level with him. And he knew God, and this is his own words, was not going to take any superficial surrender. He put his finger on each part of my self-life, and I had to decide in cold blood. It was a breaking and the Holy Ghost taking control. Day by day, doing He was coming in as God, and I had lived as a man. And what is permissible to an ordinary man, he told me, will not be permissible to you. Every single person here is called to a different level of holiness. doesn't mean we judge people who are called to a different level. But we have to be faithful to the level that we are called to and steward that level. So he's being called. And the, on the Friday, he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, I've been dealing with you for five days. You must give me your decision by six o'clock tonight. And remember, whatever you decide, your will will go on. On no account will I allow you to bring in a cross crew. Where I send you, you will go. What I say to you, you will do. Feeling the pressure of that, Reese is struggling with this decision because he knows once he says yes, it's over. His life is completely the Lord's. There's no going back. He's all in. There's no turning around. He asked for more time. <laughs> he asked for more time, and the Holy Spirit said no at 6 o'clock and made a decision. <laughs> He said, my will would have to go. I would never have another choice. And I was never to question him in thought or in motive. Each day he cleansed me and purged me that I could never go back against my former life. And finally, he gave me one hour to decide whether I myself was to live on or he was to live in me. My destiny for eternity depended on that very hour. I feel like some of you are feeling God's stirring right now. I feel like... Some of you, your destiny for eternity is going to depend on how you respond to what's released today. Not everybody, but I feel like some of you, there's going to be a marking, there's going to be an act, there's going to be a prophetic act of stepping into what you cannot go back to your old life. You cannot go back because the Lord is drawing and the world needs what you carry. So 6 o'clock is approaching on the fifth day. It's time to reveal his answer. At 5.59, after an intense struggle, he drops to his knees and says, I'm all in. And he surrenders to the Lord. Immediately, he's taken into, uh, uh, transported into another realm, and the Lord crashes in in a powerful way. At last, I said, this is his word, Lord, I am willing. And he came in. He did not force the decision on me. I had to decide. I was carried right into the presence of God, and the verse he gave me, was having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19. From that time on, there was a line drawn between my old life and this new one. He was already a Christian before then. But God was calling him to a deeper level of yes, a deeper level of consecration. Those moments where my own life I'm at the library doing research for Bill Johnson. I find this incredible book that I want to take home with me. I don't go to the school that enables me to get a library card. But I find out one of my friends used to go to school. Has Her name's Jennifer, my name's Jennifer. She lets me use her number. I go to check out the book, and the girl says, you're Jennifer, right? And I'm like, yeah, I didn't lie. <laughs> Jennifer took the book. Felt the goodness the Lord convicted me. I just deceived him. And what? It's for a revival book. Are you serious? You know, like, what in the world? And I felt this conviction. And so I went back. I said, I'm sorry. My name is Jennifer, but I'm not the Jennifer on this library card. And I gave her the book. She's like, you can't check it out anymore. And I'm like, I get it. That's fine. But it was the goodness of the Lord to pull me back and say, no, that's not right. And it might sound like a little tiny thing, but the little things are important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To be, to be um, 
check in for class and not show up. You know, like the little things are important. The little things, the things that we do behind closed doors and no one can see, that's integrity. And that's a yes to the Lord. It's before the Lord. And so he's drawn to this thing. That same night that God, God's glory fell in a powerful way, and they worshiped and sang, there's power in the blood for two hours straight. From 9 to 2.30 2 a.m., the Holy Spirit spoke to him things he had never dreamed of before. And they spent time exalting the Savior. Immediately, he was reserved for his house, preached boldly to a crowd of over a thousand. He began to change the way he viewed money and gave a bunch of things away. He was generous. He had more joy than he's ever had. He ended up doing a Nazarite vow for a season where three hours every night from six to nine, two hours he would be uh, on his knees reading the Bible and one hour in silence. Just a season of getting alone with the Lord, saying, I want more of you. And he said in the beginning it was a struggle to be with the Lord for uh, an hour in silence, but he says, although we may be away from the presence of people, how hard it is to silence the voices of self. But after a time, the Lord brought me to the place where the moment I shut the door at 6 o'clock, I left the world outside and had access into the very presence of God. I went on social media fast. It changed my life. Amen. I'm not kidding. I was working on a book. It changed my life. I was able to be more present with people and not going crazy in my mind impulsive. I was addicted. I was addicted. And I think it's a great tool. I do. But there's something of the Lord drawing us to the secret place without any contractions, without any interruptions. I would be at the lake alone with Jesus wanting to check my phone. And that was the moment when I am addicted. I need to be free. Yeah. Like, Jesus, excuse me, I got a text message, you know? Like, he wants all of us, he wants all of us, he wants all of us. And he's bringing us into this place of what does it look like to go deep into that well? What does it look like to get rid of everything? What would happen if we were quiet for an hour? Can we really be in touch with our hearts? What will come up out of our hearts if we allow ourselves to be still? He's drawing us to that place. One time, Reese House spent a month alone with the Lord on a mountain. I love this. And he wasn't all about intercession. He was about just communion with the Lord. He also felt called to Africa, so he went to Africa. And, um, and this was the, the trip that, that inspired me to show up at the airport with bags packed and a plane ticket. He felt called to go to Africa. He had 10 shillings to his name, which would only get him 20 miles off the road. He was in London. And he's like, okay, I'm going to take what I have and go as far as I can go. You know, sometimes you have a few loaves of fish. God says, give it to me, and I'm going to multiply. So he, he took the 10 shillings. He went 20 miles up the road, gets to place, gets out, meets his friends. And then the Lord's like, well, um, what would you do if you had the money? He's like, well, I would get money. Like, I'm going to buy a ticket. So he gets in line without money to buy a ticket. And then right when he's near the front, someone pulls him out of the line and says, I have to go. Here's 30 shillings. I have to go work. Gives him money. Gets a ticket. Gets, gets farther along. Ends up meeting friends later on. They give him more money. He ends up going to Africa. But he went as far as he could go on what he has. Oh, like, money can never be an excuse to not step into your destiny. I'm sorry. It cannot. There is the Holy Spirit. I showed up, and some of you guys know and prayed through this with me in this room. So Mark Brooks, I talked to him like the day before in Sherry Downs. And I, I showed up at San Francisco Airport with no ticket, having a dream to go to my friend's wedding. And God took the breakthrough and the miracle at the airport for family. And so as you're dreaming about the future, as you're dreaming about what's next, and I feel like today's going to be a, a defining moment for decision-making, too. I think some of you in this room, I feel strongly, prophetically, as we've been praying. Some of you guys aren't sure about second year and what you're going to do. And I feel like today's a day to, to yield that decision and to surrender and, and ask the fire to come and let the Lord show you what he has planned for you, yeah. wherever that is. Like, actually, yielding. I feel like some of you are going to get your answer today. As you seek him, as you invite his presence into the heart of your life. He saw a revival break out in Africa. He went to Gazaland, which is present-day Mozambique. He, at one point around his birthday, 
um, when he was turning 36, he just felt this thing that God is going to release revival. People in Africa wanted the importation of the Welsh revival so he would release it. And he said, Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. And the next day, like lightning and thunder, power came down. He said it was in the afternoon and that he came upon a young girl who broke down in tears as she prayed. Within five minutes, the whole congregation fell on their knees crying to God. The Holy Spirit came with such power as I had never seen, even in the Washer Bible, and had only heard of through reading of men like Finney and others. It went way, the, the revival meetings went, way, went late into the night and continued in the day from 9 a.m. into the morning until 6 p.m. in the evening. This went on for seven days, and it lasted, the meetings lasted 15 months without a break, two revival meetings every day. So revival began to break out in Africa. Um, there was at one point the uh, influenza flu hit, many people were dying. He made a declaration over his base that nobody would die. Nobody died within a 20-mile radius. Everything was safe. Which doctors couldn't heal people or keep them safe? So they started coming to his base for protection. Just crazy. He later, um, he later came home. 10,000 people were, were saved. Um, he came home in 1920 ready to dive into more ministry. And he wasn't a burnout machine. He was ready to dive into what God had. He was going to do evangelism, and he had this opportunity to go around the world and release revival fire. And then the Lord through prophetically spoke to him and said, I want you to do a school. I want you to equip. All these people are getting converted. They need to be equipped. They need to be discipled. And so God gives him this dream to do a Bible college. He has 15 sons to his name. And he steps out in faith to get a building. And he was able to pay the building. The money came in every single time. 15 cents to his name. Money cannot stop us from our destiny. If the Lord's in it, don't be afraid to step out. This is the Bible College. This is in Wales. This went on for a while, and even a young German became a student later on. And his name was Reinhard Bonnke. And he has since brought well over 17 million people to the Lord. Um, I think there's a key, there's a key in this. Um, with with our generation and what's coming against us, that Reese house for us. That's actually me. After my miracle flight, I got to go to Wales as well, and I got to visit Reese House Bible So he he raised up intercessors during that time. Um, that that the students were there and praying. Hitler was invading other nations and destroying people. That spirit was over their generation. And Reese realized that we don't fight against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6. The enemy is not people. The enemy is something we have authority and power over. So they would pray. They would get prophetic revelation that, that, that Nazi, the Nazis were invading Russia. They would get that prophetically, and they would pray against it. Wow. They would actually see the troops be diverted. They would actually see results in their prayers. And so I feel like with things coming against us in our generation, we have power and authority. The way we change the nation, the way we dismantle the strongholds and the things that are coming to murder and kill and destroy is through prayer. We have that authority, and I think he modeled that so well. And I want to show you, this is the present day school. Um, what it looks like now, there's a, a group from Singapore that's actually revitalizing this, which is awesome. And... And I want to read a corporate encounter that happened, and I, I can get um, Kieran and Jay to come up. So March 29, 1936, in this school, Howells was stirred and called for people who would lay their lives on the altar to fight the devil, as they would fight the enemy on the Western Front. Many of the students and the staff came forward to give their lives for that. And fire fell on the sacrifice. The Holy Ghost descended on the evening meeting. We went on knees and someone started for us. Welcome, 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 Holy Ghost, we welcome you. Liberty of power was so great, we continued singing this chorus for a full hour. So there was an increased consciousness of God's presence. The fire fell, it was a powerful moment. And then nine months later, another outpouring was birthed in the East. That was different, had different. 
1937, the strains became visibly manifest when one of the staff broke down confessing her sense of need and crying to the Holy Spirit to meet him. After she did this, he came, and there was a visitation for three weeks straight. There was a heavy, weighty glory of his presence that fell and lingered on the whole campus. And this is the report, and the reason I, I've been waiting a couple years to, to release Reese Hawes, I didn't have time to do it when I did the Lost Revival a couple years ago, but there's a corporate encounter with a, a student, a student body. You know, and so as I'm sharing this, like, why can't God do that again? As your last couple of weeks of school, like, what if the Lord comes with a massive, massive visitation? That when you get launched back for summer, when you get launched back home, wherever you go next, like, you are walking from glory to glory. You are walking, you'll be sent out in the, in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit in a beautiful way. And this is the visitation that happened. They said he did not come, the Holy Spirit did not come like a rushing and mighty wind. But gradually the person of the Holy Ghost filled all of our thoughts. His presence filled the place and his light seemed to penetrate all the hidden recesses of our hearts. He was speaking through the director in every meeting, but it, it was in the quiet of our own rooms that he revealed himself to me. We felt the Holy Spirit had been a real person to us before, as far as we knew, we had received him. And some of us had known much of his operations in and through our lives. But now the revelation of his person, person was so tremendous that all of our previous experiences seemed as nothing. There was no visible apparition. But he made himself so real to our spiritual eyes that it was a face-to-face -face experience. And when we saw him, we knew we had never really seen him before. We were people who left all to follow the Savior. And forsaken all we had of this world's goods to enter into a life of faith. And as far as we knew, we had surrendered our lives entirely to the one who had died for us. It sounds like a lot of you here, right? You've left everything, you've surrendered all, and you're here. He said, here I am. And this is super important because I think there's two parts to this. There's surrender, but then there's another part that he taps into right here. He says, there's all the difference in the world between your surrendered life in my hands and me living my life in your body. There's surrender. We can give it all away. We can let it go. The fire come. But there's also possess and inhabit me, Holy Spirit. Now that I've laid everything down, would you come and would you fill me and would you take over? Would you put me on like a glove? Would you take over? Would you possess me? Not just an encounter, right? We don't want just a visitation. We want to become a habitation. A habitation for the living God. One by one he met us. One by one we broke in tears and contrition before him. One by one our wills were broken. But far greater than anything this visitation could mean to us personally was what it was going to mean to the world. There was no excitement or enthusiasm of the flesh in those days. When his power had come upon us after March 29th, when the fire had come, we had been carried away and were seen and shouting our praise. But in these days, we were so awed by the holy majesty of his person that we hardly dare raise our voices in beings. Even the grounds outside seemed filled with his presence. Walking around together, we would suddenly be conscious that we were speaking in this place. The late hours came, but no one thought of bed, for God was there. Two and three a.m. often seemed just like midday as we communed together and prayed for some who were coming through or waited before God in the quietness of their hearts. This visitation lasted for some three weeks in a special sense, although praise God, He came to abide and continued with us ever since. But no one has a monopoly on God. No one has a monopoly on the Holy Ghost. He is God. And whatever our experience of Him, whatever our experience of Him, He is greater. He is far greater than all we can know of Him. Whatever we know of His gifts, His manifestations, and His anointing, He is greater than all of those. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. He's greater than the giftings, the manifestations, the encounters. It's Jesus. <laughs> He's the one that's great. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I 
Jesus Christ with all my heart. That's where revival begins. That's where it needs to live and abide in our hearts. It's Jesus. to the front, I just feel like even if you slip outside your seat and make some sort of movement somewhere, it's going to be a prophetic act. I feel like for some of you, there is a line drawn in the sand today. And he is bidding you to warm. He's bidding you to come and die. And say, I'm all in my heart is yours, it's fully yours. And I want to call people who feel like it's not just a season of consecration this year of school is not just a season, but it's a life. Look at Heidi Baker. Look at Louisville. Look at the people that have laid their lives. Their life is a consecrated one. I feel like God is raising up some of those in the room today that are willing to pay the price. Everyone says, I want to be like these people, but they're not willing to pay a price. But he paid a price for us, and he's worth every single yes we can pay. He's worth it. So if that's you, slip out from wherever you're at, get into a corner, get somewhere. I feel like as you slip out, the Lord is going to meet you. I feel like the fire of God is going to fall.
Yeah. 